1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder, recording live from the Hammer. That's right, we're in Hamilton, Ontario. I'm Sam Stasekul, joined by Paul Tenorio and Josh Cloak, my athletic friends and colleagues. And we are just back from the donut box, Tim Horton's field, where the U.S. men's national team lost a World Cup qualifier 2-0 to Canada. Uh, Canada is remains atop the group with the results Moves one step closer to qualifying for a World Cup for the first time in a generation. The U.S., though the result was poor, doesn't hurt them too badly in the CONCACAF octagonal standings. Thanks to the fact that Mexico drew it home against Costa Rica, the U.S. is still in second. Level on points now with Mexico, but ahead of them on goal difference. Guys, interesting game. Canada came out of the gates hot, scored in the seventh minute off kind of a nothing play weird play, but an excellent, excellent move by Kyle Laren and Jonathan David to put them on the board. And it basically stayed that way until about 10 seconds left in second half stoppage time when Sam Matakube scored on the break while the U.S. was pushed up. Um, U.S. had a lot of the ball, didn't have very many clear-cut opportunities. Um, Greg Berhalter after the match was really effusive in his praise of the American team. Disappointed by the result, but he, he thought they dominated play. Uh, in some ways, that's true, but for all that possession and all of those times that they picked up the ball in dangerous spots in transition, they didn't really have any clear looks apart from one late in the first half on a set piece. Paul, I'll start with you. Overarching takeaways from this one. Well, first of all, I'm
2: happy to be here in Hamtown with a native or a resident of Hamptown, uh, the Cloaker. Um no, I thought for me it was really, and this is what I wrote in my story, it It felt like two very different types of teams. You have a U.S. team that very clearly is not feeling or playing confidently. They don't ever look like they're – it's not been since the Mexico game that I really felt like this was a team that was having fun and that they were creating chances and the things were flowing and the things were going the way they wanted them to. And I wrote at halftime, and I think I left this in my story, Canada went into the break 1-0, and they looked perfectly content and comfortable with a half that should have felt uncomfortable for them. They were defending for the vast majority of the first half. It's not fun to do that. Chasing, running, going back and forth. They were happy with it. That's what they wanted to do. They've given the ball to the U.S., go ahead and try to break us down. We're really good defensively and if you get sucked too high we're going to beat you in transition and it it's just very clear that they are happy with who they are they're having a good time they're confident and right now they're the best team in concacaf and no i think doubt. i think tonight's game showed that and and that swagger it permeates everything in the program alfonso davie's twitch stream i came away from their post game press conference inspired you know they're talking about being a very similar to the U.S. in that the, it's a country of immigrants, and that they they are giving these these people who have come to this country to you know boor, um, to to have a better life, to change their lives, and and yet you have people who kind of hold on to their homelands or to their the places that their parents are from, and they're you know when the World Cup comes around and Canada is not there, they're rooting for Greece or for Serbia or for wherever else, and that this team is giving. Those Canadians a chance to throw those jerseys down, put the Italy jersey away, and put on a Canadian jersey, and that this is the, their way of paying back the country for changing their lives or their families' lives. All of that, all of that, good feeling, good vibes. It you you can sense it watching the team, you can sense it, and you can feel it in the stadium. It's a, it was a really cool experience, and and it it to me is the biggest thing that separates. Canada
1: from the U.S. right now. 100% and Josh, I'll I'll throw it to you here. Um, But to me, this was a game of a team between a team that is really secure in who they are and their identity and how they want to play in Canada and a team that is still figuring it out in the U.S. They have an idea of what they want to look like, but that idea doesn't always come to reality (laughs) and that can create some problems along the way. What were your big takeaways, Josh? I mean, I, I imagine from the Canadian perspective, it's, oh, bleep. Qatar, here we come! Right?
3: Yeah. I, it, every kind of for me, every step of of this like World Cup qualifying campaign, it, my attitude towards this team are, has, has shifted. Right after the Panama game, after the way the four one win against Panama, I, I remember the next day thinking, hmm, the, I this team is might be for real. And then after the Mexico game, the win over Mexico it's okay this team has a realistic chance to go and after this game walking home through beautiful Hamtown, i thought i i have to really prepare for a few weeks away in qatar this was the first time that like i thought they're just hitting you i am they're going and you guys know like through the past you know few weeks when we've talked about it i it, it hasn't been a joke. I really don't. I really wasn't. I didn't want to put the cart before the horse. I was. I. I thought the wheels were going to fall off at some point. That's just. But that. That's what's inter- interesting because that's the Canadian psyche for lo- for a long, long time. When it comes to the men's national team, it's just going to go poorly. And what I saw today, probably for the first time through this qualifying campaign, was a Canadian team that wanted to be the aggressor. They wanted to be the bully, right? This was a team that got stuck in on tackles better. This was a team that literally pushed players around, right? Tejon Buchanan, who's known, you know, for his offensive flair, getting stuck in, you know, getting in kind of a shoving match with Dest and Dest kind of walking backwards. That was so telling. Right? And I I kind of... It was because I look at that and I'm like, this team... You said it, Paul, and, and this was the big kind of theme in my story. This team has a swagger. This team has... An inherent self belief that realistically they shouldn't, right? Two years ago. Um, okay. Maybe three years ago. It's like, yeah, this team has young talent. This team has pieces, but it's 2026. And it's, and it's gonna, it's gonna come together. I mean, they they lost
1: to Haiti in the Gold Cup quarters. Which? In in 2019. Which
3: was a really pivotal loss because I think that loss caused a lot of kind of self-reflection. And look, a lot of players were dropped from the national team. But today in particular, this was a team that looked like they knew they were, you know, like they should be booking flights to Qatar as well. They just had that kind of, confidence in their play and the, you know it, it sounds strange but they had the confidence to kind of be off the ball right it like it it, it takes a lot for a team to say we're, we're comfortable kind of letting the opposition knock the ball around which they did I think the United States had what 62 percent possession they had more shots but the game never really the result never really looked in doubt right it, it, it maybe you thought like they they draw, but Canada never looked like they were going to lose this game, and it's just, it's it's kind of it's that weird intangible thing. But this team just looks more confident than any other team in Concacaf, and and I mean it. It's strange, it's strange to to see. I
1: don't I don't think there's any doubt. And you said a word in that in that Josh that I would like to go back to, and it was bully, right? And and that 2019 game in Nations League in Toronto where Canada won two nothing. Uh, the first time that that they got that result against the U.S. And, and now this series, who knows? Maybe it'll take on a little mystique, right? Much like Dos Ocero between the U.S. and Mexico, but they were the bullies in that game in nineteen. They absolutely bullied them. Like it was like they beat the crap out of them. Like they were winning all the duels. They were fouling, and the U.S. wasn't a match for it. Today, the U.S. in the run of play was physically like they were good you know they they were they were stacking up they were flying into tackles they were playing pretty fast they were doing those things fine they matched the intensity level but the difference was you need, like that Buchanan Dest situation right canada was confrontational they were aggressive right it's here's this stereotypically polite country right getting all up in everyone's grill all the time and the us did not fight back like not barely one time and and it came at the very very end of the game and th- and that to me was a huge difference in this game. We can talk about the US's struggles in the final third and with the final ball as well, but to me what I will remember this game is for is for that mental edge that Canada had on the US. And and, and there there's something Milan Boyan said the US, he thinks the US is scared of Canada now. And I don't know if I would go that far, but there's something to that. I don't know, I don't know what you think about this, Paul. I think that the 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 reality is that
2: this team lacks guys who want to do that at least guys on, that are starting like kellen acosta wants to mix it up he does and i yeah. think Weston Reg, reggie, reggie, reggie Cannon. reggie Cannon wants in. to mix it up i don't think i don't think weston mckinney wants to he will do it but he he very clearly thinks that he, there's more value in the head games that he kind of plays he goes and he helps guys up and he jokes with them and he pats them on their back and he's always checking in on guys who are hurt or pretending to be hurt and it's become kind of, kind of his thing, his shtick, and I think he he thinks it, like, gets him a little bit more leeway with the refs, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, to that point with that, that Cloak said earlier, like like Dest walking away from it, I mean, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you want to avoid picking up a, a dumb yellow in a tournament where two yellow cards across 14 games gets you a suspension, right? you you got to avoid those moments, especially now in the crunch time. But at a certain point, like, in the first 31 minutes of the game, Canada hit Christian Pulisic, on three different fouls that should have been yellow cards. All three should have been yellows. Only the last one got a yellow. And Christian was banging the ground after every foul because it hurt. <laughs> he was getting smacked down into the frozen turf. And no one on the U.S. did anything about Nothing. it. Nothing. They didn't They didn't eye the guy and wait five minutes and, and hit him with the retribution. There needs to be somebody that's making those those. They need, they need an enforcer. And They, they need the can, hockey guy. I will say credit. <laughs> Tyler Adams, a couple times, his instinct was to get stuck in after that happened to Christian, and he backed out of it because he knew that if he picked up a yellow, he would miss Honduras, and they have to get six points at home in this window. So Tyler couldn't be the guy this window. But that means somebody else has to step up. Like, And that should be a discussion. And and I, really quickly, Herdman talked about it in his press conference. They knew that the U.S. could be really dangerous in transition, and so they discussed fouling early fouling early breaking them out of the rhythm that's a part of the game plan similarly like anyone who's played soccer can tell you there are discussions on the team somebody's got to be the guy who's going to say no you don't get to foul Christian Pulisic that many times and get away with it or else I'm going to hit Jonathan David or Kyle Lahren or, or Tejon and make them pay for it
3: and that just didn't happen Sam, we we wrote about this um in our story earlier this week um, about that 2019 game and how it was a focal point of the Canadian team to key in on Michael Bradley and say, we have to play him physical because we know that he's the engine, everything runs through him, so let's get on him because he's not particularly fast, so let's foul him, let's play physical. And it led to the second goal, that game. I saw that with Pulisic today. I saw them try to get in his cage, you know, and and throw him off and... I, I, from my perspective, I, right. I didn't think he was effective at all, right? So when you kind of when you focus in on the linchpin of the team, and kind of eliminate him from from you know putting together dangerous chances, that's the game plan that worked last time. And I thought it was interesting that that was the one kind of piece that they tried to replicate from 2019.
1: Yeah, and I think I think they will continue to do that in future games against the U.S. Like they kind of are in their head. A little bit at this point and regarding Pulisic I thought he played better than he did against El Salvador but I didn't think he was particularly effective tonight there was one play in the first half pretty early on after Canada scored where where Aronson I think picked up a second ball and, and cut inside and was able to play him through on the left and Pulisic cut in on his right and Canada scrambled pretty well and I think Kamal Miller ended up sliding over and blocking the shot and that was kind of his I don't know that was probably his most dangerous moment of the match um Again, it was a situation where he was trying to find the game. Canada did a good job trying to take him out of it, but I, I really do have questions about the way that he and McKenny move on the field. Right? They they kind of go wherever they want. They freelance, and and that's understandable with Pulisic in particular. Right? You want him to pick up the ball in spots. Right? You want him to drop inside. You want him to do those things. But part of me thinks the U.S. plays better when guys are in more defined roles. Particularly on the wing, and they just go vertical, and, and, and everyone kind of knows where they're going to be. Um, same with McKenney, You know, in a three man midfield, do you really know where he's going to be at any given time? He's popping up at like left back here and there. And, and, and it's fine, and he has some good moments, and he creates some things. Um, but it's not super what's the word I'm looking for? You can't really have any expectations with where those guys are going to be. And I think that makes it harder for the entire team. I want to simplify something
2: here, and I, I really do believe this. I think, and, and Sam, I was trying to get to this point in the car on the way back from the stadium, which is that, like, there is, and, and Greg Berhalter talked about this a little bit, there's one thing in my mind that truly separates Canada from the rest of CONCACAF. They have the three, two, and maybe the three best players in, the, in CONCACAF in the final third. Jonathan David, Kyle Laren, Alfonso Davies. Those three guys scare you. I think Jonathan David for sure is the best striker in CONCACAF. Alfonso Davies for sure the best player in CONCACAF. I think Kyle Lahren is criminally underrated, but when you look at the issues that Mexico's is going through right now, they can't score goals when, especially when Raleigh Jimenez is out, they, they've, they've struggled in the final third. They've struggled to create their wingers are very talented, but they can't do it. And it's the same issue with the U S they've struggled to create, or they've struggled to score. and, That's, that holds them back significantly. And, you know, John Herdman was talking about in this game, Weston McKinney was dominating at points and he was, he was trying to do everything that he could. And at times he was taking on two, three, four defenders and earned a foul out of it. You know, he was picking up the ball and looking around and being like, Nope, I'm just going to have to accelerate and beat this guy down the line and doing it. But he can only do so much. He can only link the back line to the forward line and, he can't he's that's not his job that's not his role to score the goal too and they need Christian he came
1: closer than anybody else on the U.S. to doing so today yeah
2: the header but he they need Christian Pulisic to be a difference maker and it hasn't happened it has not happened yet and if he's not going to be the guy and they don't have Gio Reyna who's been hurt since the first game they they need somebody to step up and it you know it hasn't been peppy because he hasn't played except for 20 minutes in this window. You know, Jossie, God bless his heart. God bless him. He's not the guy. Jesus Ferreira, he had two clear chances against El Salvador. Didn't finish either of them. So that we can talk about all the other stuff and all of it matters. The pressure that the Americans are feeling, the you know lack of connections and the the movement Christian Pulisic coming inside too much and trying to be play hero ball or Brendan Aaronson or Tim Weah no, it all matters but at the end of the day Canada can score goals whenever they want and then they build their whole system around that we can score a goal and, and somebody said one of the players said it tonight from Canada oh yeah we have no we know we can sit back and defend all game we know how to see a game out and not give up goals and we don't have a problem playing that way because we know all we need is one chance and we'll beat you.
3: And they're right. Like, I I think Canada's um, defenders for a long time have taken a lot of slack, right? Or taken a lot of flack. Like, they, that was one of the questions coming into this, this final round of qualifying, right? We know that they can attack. We know they have speed on the flanks. Um, but are their defenders going to be able to hold up? And that's one thing that stuck out today and, and has stuck out over the past few months is just how... How well they've defended, how aggressive they've defended. And to me, what I, I thought was interesting as well was just, you know, anytime there was a loose ball, Canada collapsed with multiple defenders on these loose balls on American defenders. And they did a great job of kind of isolating, you know, any, any of the American kind of teammates nearby. And I, I just think that's something that, that, you know, this Canadian team has as well. And again, you didn't really think that they were going to need those defenders. You thought they're going to be winning three-two games, four-three games. They're keeping clean sheets. It's again, I, I, it's still surprising to me how quick this turnaround has come and how they're kind of, like you said, they're 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 intimidating teams. Like Milan Borian really believes, like you said, that the Americans are scared. Right, you could just feel. I mean, we talked before the game in in that live room about how there was only going to be twelve thousand fans, and I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like. It's great. It was. It it felt a lot bigger. I think you know, Canada. No way about, that was twelve thousand fans. There's no, no way. way. There's no. <laughs> I was going to say it. <laughs> way. I, I mean, we could obviously only see like one half of the stadium, but. I mean that half looked three quarters full. <laughs> it it was very um again this is just as a, a native Hamiltonian it was very it was an embodiment of of Hamilton which is kind of this, this gritty steel town and they played like that it's just fun and I asked John Herdman that I'm like your your team is just having fun now how much do you think that matters and you know he talked about how once this team kind of if they buy into the the tactical setup that they kind of have the freedom to, to, to play that way. And, and I don't know, it's, it's impressive. And it, um, I mean, you guys saw it. It, it, You guys have been to games in Canada before the the crowds are changing. People are looking at this team differently than they ever have. And um, that's going to matter a lot over the next few months.
1: Guys, let's go to a break here in a sec, but I cannot believe we've gotten this far into the show without mentioning the fact that Alfonso Davies did not play in this game. And Stefan Estacchio. And Stefan Estacchio. probably Two of their, their best players. I would say their
3: two best... Well, probably not after this window, but going into this window, were they not their two best players?
1: they certainly two of the top three or four, right? And, and Davies is number one with a bullet. Like, no doubt about that. But but yeah, Eustacchio is probably their best midfielder. And, and he wasn't even there. And, and they did this... I I don't know. There's a lot more to unpack. Stay with us. We'll be back to talk about all of it on Allocation Disorder.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right.
4: Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human and customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we are back.
2: That's right. Paul Tenorio bringing us back from break. Sam is, you know, just sitting there letting me carry the piano as usual. All right, Sam. I'm chilling. I've got the a hammer. I've got a question for you here. And this is something that I think we both see on Twitter a lot after pretty much every US game, no matter what the result is, um, which is Greg Burhalter and his role in this. Where do you think the responsibility lies at this point in qualification with you know, even if you just look at these two performances, El Salvador and Canada, with the things that are going wrong, does it fall on Greg Burhalter? Does it fall on the players? Where where does the responsibility lie after a game like today's?
1: Well, I view these things in two categories. When a team is having problems, a national team, is it a coaching problem or is it a player pool problem? Right? So, for instance, like, you know, before when, when this team was selected last week for this window right? People were mad because he only called one left back, right? That to me is a coaching problem. There aren't a ton of left backs, but you're putting yourself in a dangerous spot for no real reason, right? They're also mad because, oh, the strikers aren't good enough. That's a player pool problem. Greg Berhalter has no control over that sort of thing, right? People are mad that he's playing Giassi's Zardes. Well, Ricardo Pepe's not playing well and Jesus Ferreira didn't do what he needed to do on Thursday night against El Salvador, right? So you try something out game plan dependent, as he was saying after the match, um, the Pulisic one, I don't know exactly. Like, that one to me feels more like a player problem than a coach problem of a guy who's lost his confidence and just like it's not clicking at this moment in time. Talented player, of course, right? But it's just not really working for him. Um, I do think maybe more of a defined role could help him there. There are things that Burhalter could do that I think would help out in those ways. I don't think he should be fired, though. You know, first of all, the U.S. is still in a solid position in qualifying. They're in second place. If they take care of business against Honduras, who is bad at home on Wednesday night, then they're still going to be out. At, at, well, they'll still be in second place, but they'll be in very, a very, very good spot to qualify for Qatar. You know, and that is the objective. It's It's weird to get into these conversations because the results are decent. You know, since that Canada game in 19, they've played, I think, 30 games or maybe 29, and and now they've lost three of them. They've won like 23. Like, the record's very good, right? But a lot of those games have been against bad teams, and most of them have been at home. So how do you judge? You get into the performance, all right, have we dominated? Has the U.S. dominated in any of these matches? Not really. Not very many of them. (laughs) I get the frustrations. Um, I, I think that the U.S. could be playing better than they are playing. But I also think that Burhalter has made progress. Uh, and I think the team, I don't know. They're not at their ceiling, that's for sure. But I don't think it's entirely a coaching issue.
3: You guys would have, I mean, for the last few days, you would have you know listened to, to John Herdman's press conferences. And we talk about John a lot. He's this you know charismatic figure. And I mean, Canada's going to qualify and they're going to build statues of him. I, We as as like, you know, in the Canadian soccer media, we, it, a lot of John's messaging um, can get a bit redundant because it's all very dramatic and it's, it's, it's big on, you know, these grand proclamations and it's, it's very, you know, William Wallace, you know, rallying the troops. I guess I just wonder because it's, it looks like it's working and it looks like the players have really bought into that, that, that attitude. Like, is that something Berhalter could stand to to use more of? Or, or I like, I don't know. I'm curious. I,
2: I will tell you this. After watching the post-game press conferences with the players, I will tell you that Canada is more bought in on Herdman than the U.S. is on Berhalter. And I think some no, of that...
1: It's not even close, it's not even close. is but it?
2: But I think, Sam, and tell me, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think there's two things that are a problem with that. One, I think Berhalter is a little bit more of a... Uh, tactician details kind of a part of every inch of your life when you're with the national team, which, you know, I'm sure can be a little bit overbearing at times. And and he thinks through everything, even like how he structures where people sit and like things like that, which is is meant to try to bring the group closer together. And I think works. I'm, I'm not criticizing some of those things, but I think there's just a little bit more of that. The second thing is, I think there is, in my opinion, more ego. In the U.S. men's national team, with individuals, than there is in the Canadian team. Alfonso Davies is the best player in CONCACAF. He is the biggest star in CONCACAF, arguably, outside of maybe Kaylor Navas. He, (laughs) it's
4: true. I just love the Costa
2: Rica shout out there. I'm just, I'm sorry. Kaylor Navas has won multiple Champions League trophies, okay? So let's just start there. Anyways. No, no disrespect. I, that was just out of left field. It made me laugh. <laughs> he, he has no, like, no hint of an ego. He's watching on Twitch. He's screaming for his teammates. He's giving them all nicknames. The Twitch
1: he's, thing is so awesome.
3: It's so oh, great. It's so awesome. And like, he's got his team. dad beside him. Just sitting there. He's got his yeah, dad there. And- it's just, it's, oh, that's so fun. It's fun. Yeah. And the team embodies that, right?
2: They take on, I think sometimes the personalities of their stars. And right now, the teams have. Canada is fun. Like Alfonso Davies is fun. The U.S. is kind of, to quote Sam school, kind of sad boys. Like Christian Pulisic is a sad boy. You know, there's there's an element of just stress and pressure, and and I, you know, I should be better. And why aren't we better? And do I is it the coach? Is it me? Do I need to listen to this guy? Does he experience anything? I've I there's just all these feelings. And
3: I think with the with the Canadian team, it's not that at all. Which is so there's a
1: leadership void.
3: Well, which is so interesting to me because when you think about how much a player's stock can rise by going to the World Cup, there's a lot of Canadian players that know that if they go to the World Cup, their careers are going to change drastically, and they're going to move on to bigger clubs because of that. Sam Atakube,
1: Josh, Josh, their lives
3: are going to change. I know, I know, but I'm saying that there are so you would think. Look
1: at the '94, the '94 team for the U.S. That's what this Canada team could be.
3: But you would think that this Canadian team would feel that pressure because you don't think Sam Adekube knows, if I go to the World Cup, I'm going to move on from Norway. You don't think Alistair Johnson thinks like, if I go to the World Cup, I'm getting some European team is, is coming after me, right? You would think that that pressure would be on this Canadian team because, again, they haven't been to a World Cup since 86. Most of the players weren't even alive at that point, um, but they don't have that and i i don't know whether that's you know the the media just kind of getting behind this team because to be fair we have it's 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 this roller coaster ride and and a lot of us are just kind of you know writing about that happiness that they kind of embody um but you would think this canadian team would feel that pressure but they don't they are completely void of it
1: well it's just a question of mentality and attitude right And canada like paul was saying i think takes on the personality of their coach and their star player, both of whom are like very supremely confident people who carry that into the group, both pretty extroverted. It seems like with Herdman and Davies, both pretty fun loving, both seem to be smiling quite a bit, <laughs> you know, so that I, I think down Herdman's to a little bit more paranoid Fair in enough. Fight than Fair Alfonso un- Davies. Well, he definitely, he definitely has that. Right. But he also presents the other side as well. Right. And, and Davies, I think, we can all agree on what I was saying there. I'm pretty sure, um, and that trickles down to the rest of the group. In the U.S., it's like who's the leader in that locker room? You know, the the captain's armband rotates all the time. Christian Pulisic was did not have the armband tonight. It was given to Tyler Adams. This was the first game that Pulisic started in qualifying in which he was not captain. Like, who's the leader? right? Is Burhalter the one stepping up into that void? Does he have that personality? Like, do the guys take him seriously in that way when he's in the locker room after the Mexico game saying we went sicko mode on them and people are laughing at him? It's good natured. Don't get me wrong in that instance. But like, he's not really the type that seems like, okay, he's going to give the rah-rah motivational speech. And that's fine. Coaches can succeed that way. He's succeeded that way. But it does create a little bit of a vacuum. And I don't think any of the players have stepped up into that void. And I think that's a bit of a problem for the U.S.
2: And, and that's again, comes back to the question of who's the problem. And I think there are some issues with this young player pool. It's a part of being super young. And none of these older players either are starting or have the personality to be that guy either. And and with Canada, let's let, we should also point out that they are an older team than the U.S. They do have guys who are veterans compared to the U.S. that that play important roles. And I think... That that,
1: but their best players are young.
2: Their best players are young, for sure. But I think also, like even today, like Borjan, like the things that he was talking about, like that's important to have a goalkeeper that that has. He's older. He's he's been through it. He's been through the bad times, and that and to have that experience and to transmit that experience to the young guys to give them a taste of it without ever having to give them the full taste of it, and but let them know why they should appreciate it. And then even the things he was talking about. You know, about his own life experiences, moving to Canada when he was 13 years old and the country giving him and his family, he kept saying, better schools, a better life, safer existence, and that this was his way to pay Canada back. You can bet that he's saying that stuff in the locker room too, that he,
3: he's reminding. He, he does. He does. He's at the center of every post game huddle. Him and Atiba Hutchinson, now you're right, like their best players are young, right? But John Herdman keeping Atiba Hutchinson in the fold. John Herdman keeping Milan Borjan as their starting goalkeeper when, like, I think Kripo could do a job, right? Milan Borian's dis- distribution we saw today, not great. He made an incredible save in the second half, but, you know, I, I don't, he, he's probably the, the, you know, the best goalkeeper in the player pool, but it, I don't know. It, it might be closer than we think. But keeping those guys around, those guys that have been through some real, like, they were, They were both in the squad in 2012 when Canada just gets, you know, mocked by Honduras 8-1. That's important because, you know, Atiba Hutchinson is kind of this, he's more of a quiet cerebral type and he can connect with those type of players in the dressing room. Milan, like we saw him literally thumping his chest, literally thumping his chest. He resonates with that kind of crowd. Um, so, keeping those guys around, I think, is important because one of the questions I had of this team coming in, I'm like, they're talented, but, you know, their best players are young. Are they going to be able to bring it all together? And keeping those veteran guys in the fold, I think, was really, really important because it means that Alfonso Davies doesn't have to do that part. He can be their best player, but he doesn't necessarily have to you know, take on this all-encompassing role. Or he can grow into he it. Can just, he doesn't have to deliver the speeches. He doesn't have to motivate guys. He can just play. And when you're talking about a leadership void, I think, you know, sometimes we expect a team's best player to also be their, their biggest leader. That's definitely not the case with Canada. And I think that balance is really important.
2: Well, that's definitely not the case with the U.S. either. And I don't think it should be. I don't think Christian Pulisic should have to be something he's not. And he's an introvert. He doesn't want to be that guy. He's not that guy. And that's okay. He doesn't, you know, And the, but somebody does. And I think Tyler Adams wants to be that guy. And I think Tyler Adams is is a great leader. But Tyler Adams is also going through qualification for the first time too. And so uh, there are just these moments that are missing. And And again, as another example, today, Tyler Adams couldn't get stuck in and be the guy picking up the yellow or shouldn't have been. You know, if he's being smart so that he can be available for Honduras and injury aside, like, but you need guys who understand those moments, understand what leadership looks like. And I think that's, again, that's a player pool, pool problem. And, you know, just because you have the experience, people might listen to this and say, oh, what about John Brooks? He wasn't there. Well, John Brooks, just because he was there doesn't mean he's the guy that fills that void. I don't think he is. You know, that it's not just about were you there. It's were you there and do you have the personality and the leadership qualities to do that. And I think that's lacking. And it's a it's a it's a part of the problem when you have a young team, but the US also knows that with this young pool. And so, yes, I think some of that stuff that you see from Greg Berhalter doing that is him trying to fill a void that he knows is gone, trying to do things that can unite this group, doing things like the game balls and pulling the people up and making them give a speech. That's doing this to try to create this mood and this environment within the group because there's clearly no one in the player pool that's really doing that. It's capable of it or wants it or should. And and so there is this constant battle of trying to create the vibe in the group however you can. And I think Canada has nailed it. They have the chemistry. They have, you know, Borjan said, you know, there was a question about what's changed in this Canada team. You've been here for 12 years. You've gone through, and he said two words, John Herdman, that was his answer. So they have the coach doing it. They have veterans doing it. They have Alfonso Davies and his fun-loving. It's it works, and I just think that that's missing from this American group right now. And maybe it comes around, and and maybe it doesn't matter. You know, I think I, I'm a big proponent and believer that tournament play is built for younger teams because you you throw everything out the window and it's it's literally like game by game, and you just go. And th- sometimes the less you know, the less pressure you feel but I, I don't know, man. I wrote a lot about today. This young team, I think has absorbed this pressure of that. The pro that's, oh, that has surrounded this program since missing the world cup.
1: I think it's hard to dispute that. And, and watching Canada provides a really, really stark contrast, right? This is a team. They're still searching for their identity on the field and off of it. And they don't have clear ideas in my opinion. Um, I don't know. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll talk I think we can get into some individual players um and how they played today cuz I want to highlight some some guys that were good and maybe not as good and then we can look ahead to the rest of the window and qualification scenarios for Canada? I don't even know. Can they get there this window? I'll look it up in the break. Stay with us. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer
0: sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
4: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
1: That's what it's called. Not Hamtown. Don't listen to these two goofballs. Uh, We are back. U.S. men's national team lost 2-0 to Canada in Hamilton in World Cup qualifying. I think we can spin ahead and look forward to the rest of the window and the end of qualifying. Only four games left in CONCACAF now. We're getting down to crunch time. The U.S. will, of course, travel to St. Paul, Minnesota for a match against Honduras in the freezing, 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 freezing cold on Wednesday night. It is still all systems go for that game, despite the dipping forecast. Um, We'll see. U.S. definitely needs all three points from that match. Next window, they start in Azteca on March 24th at Mexico, return home on the 27th to face Panama, and then on March 30th, finish up the Ocho at Costa Rica. Costa Rica could be playing for their lives in that match um that could be a, that could be a huge one canada they travel to el salvador on wednesday home away at costa rica to start the next window home to jamaica who way things are going looks like they might be eliminated at that point and then on the road to panama to close things out uh we'll start with the us the conditions are going to be a huge storyline before the game but honduras is not a good team and this is this is a game that the us should win you know even in the freezing, frigid conditions that we're going to see at Allianz Field up in Minnesota. Pretty simple path still for the U.S. to the World Cup, despite everything that happened tonight. Win your
2: two games at home, Honduras and Panama. Mexico beats Panama on Wednesday at home. And Costa Rica doesn't win out um, with beating Jamaica, Canada, and El Salvador. That's it. Very doable, very reasonable path to the world cup and the expectation should be that it that it goes down that way you're you're playing honduras at home you should win that game you're playing panama at home you should win that game and i don't expect panama to to win at the azteca if they do all hell breaks loose and it'll be wild and crazy but (laughs) you know realistically the u.s should feel you know very much still in control And confident that they can qualify for the World Cup, you know, as long as they go out and take care of business on Wednesday.
1: Canada is in a more secure situation, four points ahead at the top of the table. They cannot qualify on Wednesday at El Salvador. But if they win, they'll basically be on the brink. Josh, take us through the
3: overall picture. I mean, going into the start of this campaign, it would look like 25 points would be the number that would get them in. So essentially one win in the next four games is probably going to be enough. Um, they can't qualify on Wednesday, which I think is a bit of a disappointment. But now you wonder if like it, that next game in in, in, um, in El Salvador, do you maybe try out some different players? Some guys, do you want to give some guys a look knowing that like you, you can't necessarily, necessarily qualify, but you have enough quality and your depth to, to maybe... Give you know the Liam Frazers of the world a look, um, and then you look ahead? He
1: was he was solid today. Off the he was pitch,
3: solid. He, he was solid um, in, against Honduras as well, right? It's it's that kind of depth that I think you know we haven't really talked about, but it's that kind of depth that Canada has that they've never really had. Um, so do you give some of those guys a look? Right? Do you do you? I mean, you don't really need to rest them because you don't have a game afterwards. But maybe David and lauren deserve a rest. Do you give EK, Agbo, a look? Agbo a look? um a look. I think in a perfect world, you probably, you know, you, you probably qualify at home. Um, I, I suspect that game, the second game of the next window, will be in Toronto. Right? It's late March. Weather won't be a, a concern at all, and you'll, you you want to stay in the Eastern Time Zone. That that was a big reason why they had this game in Hamilton instead of you know Vancouver. Because they didn't want to travel over different time zones. So, uh, again, their path to the World Cup is is essentially, I would say, a win and a draw in their next four games gets them there. Or probably just a win.
2: Yeah. A win and other results.
1: Right. I mean, they can, they can clinch fourth, a top four spot on Wednesday. If they win, and if Costa Rica draws or loses at Jamaica then they will have clinched at at worst fourth place, which is good enough for the intercontinental playoff against Oceania. Um, so at worst they'll get out of the Ocho and and have a shot against likely New Zealand in a one game play. You know
3: what? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that because they listen, (laughs) they went down that road in 94 or sorry, in 93, right? They, when they, they, they flew to, to Sydney, you lose to, to Australia on penalties. Um, you know obviously then you would have had to, to go and play Argentina a few weeks later. But yeah, nobody wants that. So I, I think a win a win is probably enough. So you know maybe it happens in, in, in Costa Rica. Uh, but I think for a lot of people that have been waiting for a long time, it would it would probably mean a lot more for it to happen in again what I suspect to be Toronto.
1: Um, I mean, if you do it in Costa Rica, you can just come back to Toronto and have a big party. That wouldn't be so bad either, you know. I do think it is fitting and appropriate that they won't be able to clinch until, knock on wood, Davies is back with the team. Yeah, um, that's true. I think it'll be it'll it, that that I think is nice, and and it would have been he would have been a big miss had he not been there for it.
2: I, I do want to make one point, which uh, when it comes to what Josh was talking about in regards to kind of how you how you think about. Your lineups and how you think about your approach to games, especially, you know, going into the last window once you've clinched, um, because we, we can assume at this point that I think pretty safely that Canada is going to clinch. Right now, Canada's ranked 40th in the FIFA rankings, um, and they'll go up after the win tonight. Uh, but the more wins that they get in qualification, the higher they will go. And the way FIFA World Cup seeding works is based on your FIFA rankings. You're put in pots based on how highly you are ranked. So they have motivation beyond just qualifying for the World Cup. If you're John Herdman, you're saying, as he kept saying to the team, we want to finish, or you're saying to the press after the game, we want to finish undefeated. Well, the more wins you can get, the more you know, the more losses you can avoid, the higher that ranking is going to go. And it matters if you finish in pot two instead of pot three. So they've... You know, they've got some real motivation beyond just booking that ticket to Qatar.
3: It does matter. John Herdman talked about Canada becoming a top 20 team in the world. And it's, it's, again, it's one of those things that gives you pause because you, you say, when you took over this job, this team was an afterthought, right? Nobody thought this team was going to qualify. And now you're talking about this team. Literally, he comes out and says, we want to be a top 20 team on the planet. Um, and, you know, we're talking about qualifying for the World Cup and, and something that I think we that, that Herman brought up and, and I think is a lot of people have have talked about is it's not just the sentimental idea of, of Canada going to the World Cup and growing the game, the financial incentive of them qualifying and what that could do to create more of a kind of a soccer infrastructure in this country that I think has been lacking for a long time would be exponential. Right. And I think that's what Canada has what the federation has that they probably never had and 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 maybe you know we're talking about the comparisons i don't know maybe it's a bit lacking on the u.s side right now is that kind of foresight that kind of progressive you know mentality where you're looking forward and you're thinking big you're really thinking big and thinking what can we do with the millions of dollars that that will you know come into if we qualify for the world cup it's that kind of grand aspirational thinking that that the federation has never had. And, you know, again, seriously, <laughs> and and it's games like today where you see that on the pitch and, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about, Oh, they could get fourth, you know, on Wednesday and and nobody wants that. Right. They're swinging now. It's, it's, it's big.
1: They should win. They should win the whole thing. They should win the group. You know, Josh, I have a question for you. Obviously Mexico in Edmonton was iconic. Where does, how does this one compare to that? You were at both.
3: I think the surroundings, the, the kind of atmosphere. You had a full stadium in Edmonton. You, you, you had the snow. You had arguably the the most the, the best viral moment in, in Canadian soccer history, which is Sam... The dive, the Sam dive Abrube. into the snow bank. Like, you, you know, you can't write some of that stuff. Um, I, I, I just think it was interesting, you know, that, that week where Canada just kind of camps out in Edmonton and what I felt there was you know there were there were banners all around the city promoting that game you knew Canada was in town I didn't see any of that in Hamilton and that's you know maybe I'm nitpicking but like this was a big game and it it
1: makes a difference you, for the occasion you didn't Thanks.
3: I mean you guys can attest to this you didn't really feel it you in the city you didn't know there was a massive world cup qualifier going on
1: I mean, to to be fair, the city is completely closed. You literally can't go inside restaurants. So, you know, it was going to be hard to create that. Hamptown was at a disadvantage. That's all I'm saying.
3: Yeah. So, in terms of significance on on kind of the the greater story, it's right up there. But in terms of, like, memorable moments, I I think that game against Mexico is, I mean, it's it's arguably the, the, the biggest... You know, or, or the most noteworthy game in Canadian men's soccer history, it's right up there with the. It's right up there with the win in Newfoundland. It's, I mean, I guess no, that, it's a low. That makes it's sense. a low bar.
1: But and and how depressing is that for USMNT fans? That not only are they now worse than Canada, but they can't even be the the top. You know, victory in in Canada's uh, cycle. You know, that's that's rough. Um, anyway, guys. I think that's all I got. Do you do either of you want to say anything else before we before we bid adieu? You know, I'm using French because we're in Canada. This is a bilingual podcast.
3: What what did you guys think of, of Hamtown? What are your, what were your impressions in your forty eight hours? I mean, here?
1: I had a lovely a lovely Saturday night at Joshua Cloak's house. Uh, he made some pizza for us. We met his lovely family. That was fantastic. We made some p- um,
2: pizza, loaded up his fridge
1: with beers, local beers yeah. for us. It was the only, I only bar I have had one say, or two. I'd bosses, say bosses, you know just a couple. Yeah, just a couple. And you know I got upgraded to a suite, and I've taken two baths in a jacuzzi on this trip, so it's been pretty good for me. It's um, so a ringing endorsement. <laughs> I think on that note, ringing endorsement
3: for Hamilton's tourism board.
1: I think on that note, we that's how we say goodbye. Um, if you have access to a jacuzzi, take advantage of it. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder.